1: This is Dan White, author of The Smart Marketing Book, The Definitive Guide to Effective Marketing Strategies, and you are listening to The Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Welcome to The Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, and thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which was named by Forbes as one of 11 smart podcasts that will keep you in the know, and named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, If I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. I do this podcast to help me and my listeners keep up with the latest ideas that matter most in the quickly changing and somewhat overwhelming world of modern marketing and sales. My day job is running a marketing agency that helps manufacturers and industrial companies grow their revenue. To learn more about the problems we solve and how we do it, visit salesartillery.com. All right, enough yakking. Let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome Dan White to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book, The Smart Marketing Book, The Definitive Guide to Effective Marketing Strategies, published by LID Publishing. Dan White is a marketing and insights innovator for nearly 30 years. Dan was with Kantar Millward-Brown, a multinational market research firm specializing in advertising effectiveness, strategic communication, media, and brand equity research. and Interesting fact, Dan lives near Stratford-upon-Avon, birthplace of William Shakespeare. Dan, congratulations on the Smart Marketing Book, and welcome to
1: the Marketing Book Podcast. Thanks very much. Thanks, Douglas. I'm, I'm very happy to be here.
0: And before we started recording, you mentioned that you were in a, uh, a village outside Stratford-upon-Avon that William uh, Shakespeare referred to uh, in some form of drunkenness.
1: Kind of. Yeah, he did. Apparently he did. Um, Yeah, it's called Bidford on Avon. It's just uh, down the river, uh, a few miles from Stratford. Uh, And uh, apparently when Shakespeare was working in Stratford and he wanted to let his hair down, he used to come over to Bidford to get drunk. And he called it in one of his plays, uh, Drunken Bidford. So that's what we're famous for.
0: So that was the allure of moving there for you?
1: Uh, Well, to be honest, I didn't know that then. No, this this was a more mundane story of Trying to get the kids into the right schools. Oh,
0: I see. Yeah, I'm sure that's not why you you went there, Mr. White. So I just have to share one thing with you. Uh, we may be related. My great 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 grandfather was named mm. William White, and yeah. he fought in the American Revolution against the British. Uh, okay. Yeah, he fought at Yorktown, and then his son, also named William White, fought in the Battle of New Orleans against the British. And as a matter of fact, I have. Uh, a sword he took from a British officer at that battle. And I don't know the status of the officer. Wow. We still have the sword and we're not giving it back, but here we are, you're a white I'm descended from the whites. And here we are bearing the hatchet, William white. I, I just feel better knowing that we, you know, cause I'm a uniter, not a divider. And and here That's we are. Nice
1: That's lovely. Oh, the, the, the chances of us actually being uh, related are, are pretty slim. I mean, I looked up on LinkedIn you know, when I was trying to promote the book and, and, and figure out how people could find me, there are about four or 5,000 Dan Whites, and I'm I'm not the first that comes up. So so I'm now Dan White, author of The Smart Marketing Book. Excellent. That like, that's my name. So.
0: Excellent. Yes, that's great. That's great. And I also happen to look up – because uh, when you're the host of The Marketing Book Podcast, you look up, you know, kind of unimportant mm. trivia. And the, the, the surname White is one of the most popular in the English language. So mm. yep, there you go. Watch out, people named Smith. We're coming for you. So – I learned about your book from a loyal listener in Pennsylvania, Tom Elmer, who's also a uh, marketing professor. Mm -hmm. And uh, Tom is a, a great guy, very special to me, and not just because he once sent me a bottle of scotch. Because he liked the podcast so much. But for the rest of you listeners out there, if you don't want to send me a bottle of scotch, you know, a, a bottle of Cabernet Sauvignon will do just fine. But Tom is uh, a professor at uh, Westchester University in uh, Pennsylvania, and he even had me speak to his uh, students. And I love being able to do that. So if there's any academic folks out there listening in, uh, I'd be happy to join your class. I have to mention the design of your book, it's mm. really i loved it it's um thanks so it's it's a it's a small book and it's only 10 chapters and it's about 170 pages and it's four and a half let's see four and three quarters inches wide by seven inches high and since uh there are only three countries still in the world that use that english uh, measurement (laughs) system which is the u.s (laughs) Myanmar and uh Liberia, I went to the trouble to measure this. That's uh, about 12 by 18 centimeters, okay? So that's for the rest of you folks out there. Uh, you know, hey, I suffer from my art. I, I, I do my homework on these things. You really have. Yes. Really- <laughs> so, but it's it's beautifully designed. The pages are very thick. The corners, two of the corners are rounded. And it even has, uh, I don't know what you call it, but a string attached to it where you can put it in as you're reading it, uh, almost like a, a hymnal.
1: Yeah, that's right. To, to mark your page. Also, you haven't mentioned the lovely elasticated strap that means you can close it up so it doesn't get damaged. Yes, it's it's like a like a I, notebook, right?
0: Exactly, exactly, and it's great. And yeah. you can mark it up. And then there are the most brilliant illustrations throughout the book. And did you do all the illustrations as well? I did.
1: Yeah, oh. I and mean, in a way, that's kind of. One of the biggest reasons I wanted to do the book was the illustrations. For me, the illustrations are at least as important as uh, as all the words, really. They work very hard. Yeah, I mean I've been I've been collecting these or doodling these for thirty years. I'm not I'm not exaggerating. I've been collecting ideas and and, and they they start sort off as as ways I could remember things I've learned, you know, mnemonics yeah. for myself. And then I realized that that was quite useful when I moved into training. People like to see some of the, you know, especially visual learners, they like to see something as well as, as the thoughts and, uh, and words. So, it's yeah, it started there. Well, you know, it's
0: interesting because there was a book on the show recently by uh, Tim Reister called The Expansion Sale from Corporate Visions, and they actually did some research into – what make the most effective visuals in certain instances and right. hand drawn visuals are the most powerful so really? I, and oh, that I, makes sense so i'm really sensitized to this but there were i would look at the visual first and yeah. then it made the, the parts to follow in reading that much faster so they were yeah
1: it gives you a yeah it gives you a kind of context a framework a, yeah it just helps and that's that's kind of what they're there for they they they're meant to help make fairly in some cases fairly complicated ideas much more easy to take in.
0: Yes, so uh, very well done. And it was one of those things where I had a hunch that the author was also doing the uh illustration. Yeah, you're
1: right. It doesn't say, does (laughs) it? I've realized that it doesn't say, but yes, they are all my my little Well and also
0: for this episode, I asked for a headshot from each author and you sent me a self-portrait yeah, so when I saw that, I thought, ah, oh, he must have done all the illustrations for the book. So, anyway. <laughs> Does it
1: look like me? That's the important thing. Does it look enough like me? Have you checked against my LinkedIn photo? Uh, well, yeah. I, I looked at yeah, your LinkedIn, LinkedIn photo, nice.
0: and I thought, the, I, I thought it looked like the, the same person. So,
1: that's good. A thing I had to do, just got to tell you this, though. Uh, that was done uh, not that long ago. But, you know, in lockdown… I don't know, it's quite easy to put on a few pounds. So before I sent it to you, I literally had to go into Photoshop and make it a bit wider (laughs) to make it look more like me. So anyway, it is fairly accurate, I hope.
0: Okay, good. Well, that's important. Now, to you, dear listener, I hope you appreciate These are all marketing book podcasts, insider bits of information. So... I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So let me start with a, a quote. I want to read this one excerpt from the beginning of the book. You write, Marketing is an exciting, dynamic profession requiring an unparalleled breadth of knowledge, technical understanding, and creativity. Psychological discoveries and new technologies create a continual flow of marketing opportunities. With these innovations, however, come risks and considerable confusion. Marketers can feel overwhelmed by all the complexity and the new ideas they are expected to assimilate. Most marketing books add to the mental logjam by exploring a novel perspective in detail without explaining how it relates to established marketing principles. Successive fads lead marketers to hone their craft in one area at the expense of others. Few marketers have time to read overly specialist books that ignore the bigger picture. The Smart Marketing book is different. It brings together old and new marketing thinking, explaining in clear, succinct terms how everything connects and how it can be applied in day-to-day decision-making. Technologies and business models might be in a constant state of flux, but the workings of the brain evolve slowly. This book equips marketers with the principles and concepts they need to assimilate the new and navigate the industry's complexity with confidence. Dan, one of the things I loved about the book is that this is almost like putting on a pair of sunglasses amidst all the shiny objects of marketing and take people back to what really matters. Let's go to the beginning of the book, uh, specifically on page four, where you talk about the purpose of marketing which is i don't know maybe all too often not addressed <laughs> in a lot of marketing and sales books talk yeah. to us about uh, your definition of marketing
1: my definition is to create promote and deliver products or services that enable commercial objectives to be met through the customer value they create, they generate mhm in other yeah in other words it's it's kind of like um, it's all about value yeah, you know, it's all about creating value, and you know, the marketing shouldn't exist if it's not adding value. Um, mm-hmm. That's what it's for, and it's to help companies to meet objectives. But there is a particular way it's trying to do it. it it's it's doing it through the value that the the, the customer gains uh, and and maximising that.
0: Yes, yes. So. In the book, you you talk quite a bit about strategy and all kinds of things that CEOs should understand and every marketer should understand, salespeople should understand. Let's talk about uh, growth strategies. Uh, there was a book on the show a year or so ago by Tiffany Bova called Growth IQ, and she's with Salesforce, mm-hmm. and she talked about basically the 10 ways... 10 pretty common ways that companies grow. And in her book, she talked about uh, Ansoft's growth strategy matrix. And uh, that's on page yeah, yeah, six yeah. of your book. And I was wondering if we could talk about that for a brief moment. And the reason why is because... I have experienced and I sense that there's a lot of CEOs or managers out there who are slamming their fists on the conference table saying, "We need to grow, damn it. Go make more cold calls or or go run more ads." When actually <laughs> there are some strategic ways that you you need to settle on before you grow. Can you talk about the the, the four ways yeah. that Ansoff talks about growing?
1: Yeah, I I love the Ansoff uh, approach. I mean, it's it's a It's a little old now, but I I can't see that it's changed at all, to be honest. And the the idea of uh, the Ansoff matrix is your most important decision uh, in terms of how you're going to grow is, are you going to carry on expanding with your current products or services? You know, are you literally going to sell those to more people? A penetration strategy, just keep going, keep going. Or are you going to want to develop totally new products and services? Mm -hmm. You know, and that where, the, and, and the, um, the, the important thing here is, it's about where and how you prioritize your business investment. You know, if if you're talking about expanding existing products and services to to new to new markets, you know, you're talking about distribution. You know, you're talking about uh, launch style communications and, and marketing. You're about getting the word out there to more and more people which is very different from what, you know in terms of what you need to do as a business versus if you are trying to sell new completely new and different products that inf- requires a much bigger investment in r&d for example um uh, and and a longer term uh, and to be honest a longer term strategy uh, as well
0: Yeah, so it's a sort of thing where marketers uh- who have people coming into their office saying, Hey, I need help with all this stuff. <laughs> or, or or if the marketer wants to insert a little bit of strategy into it, try to mm. help the organization understand, okay, boss, I, I got you. D- does that mean we want to sell more products to current customers? Do we want to sell new products to current customers? Do we want to sell to new kinds of customers? I mean, there's, there, there, are yep. very yep. different animals. And yet, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of it gets those distinctions aren't uh, always made. Now, because mm-hmm. your book really covers the basics, there's a couple other things that I wanted to pull out of here to, to talk about. And one of them is mm-hmm. the marketing mix. And I've been oh, in yeah. this line of work probably as long as you have. And when I'm talking to uh companies and I'm having to, you know, maybe explain something to a, a CEO or someone who's just not familiar with what marketing really is, I'll often bring out the four Ps of marketing, which is sure. dated. Uh, maybe came out around 1960 or so, but it's still relevant for explaining. And you go on to say, and then, matter of fact, I've had a, a book on the show called The Four A's of Marketing. And <laughs> there's, all, there's all different types of paradigms, which are very uh, interesting. But even if you just use the four P's of marketing, it, it's helpful for people to mm. understand. And I was wondering if you could explain, go back and explain what the four P's of marketing are. And then I wanted to uh, touch on your your model, your, your marketing mix eye
1: oh i'm glad you i'm glad you want to talk about that that's possibly my favorite framework in the whole book one one certainly one of the top five <laughs> yeah oh yeah i mean the, the four p's of marketing have been around for a, lo- a long time um and they are um the, the four p's literally are product the thing uh, and that includes service but the, the product you are selling mm-hmm. the, then there's price at what price are you going to be selling the product for um, which relates directly through to, you know, can you sell it at a price to make it, to make some money, basically. Mm-hmm. The, the third P is place. So where through are you going to sell it? Through which channels? How are you going to distribute this? Where, where is it going to be bought? And then the final one is promotion. But promotion in its broader sense. You know, how are we going to get the word out there? How are we going to uh, showcase what we've got? Uh, and that obviously includes... Uh, marketing activities, uh, advertising activities in particular.
0: Yes. And I had to laugh because I sometimes I give a talk and I'll say, you know, what I hear from a lot of business people is, you know, we've grown our business and we've never done any kind of marketing. And And I realize, I mean, they're not stupid people, but they're just not familiar with what marketing actually is. And I sometimes want to say, oh, well, how do you price your products? And then they'll give me an answer and I'll say, well, you know, that's marketing.
1: Yeah. Well, I think yeah. A lot and of people, a lot of people sorry. think
0: of the yeah. uh, too many uh, still think of marketing as simply that last P of promotion, yeah. rather than focusing on the product, uh, the pricing, and then how you're actually going to distribute it.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. That that I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I'm, unfortunately, I sometimes lapse into sort of being sloppy with language. I hope I don't, but I, I do occasionally. Um, but you're right. I mean, the marketing as a function within a business is all of those Ps. You know, it starts with I mean, product. Marketing is about identifying uh, a kind of product um, that fulfills a need. You know, something that people will want to buy and pay pay the asking price for. So, actually designing products, and that's where um, market research is so important um, in terms of informing what people do and don't want and what might appeal to them. Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, pr- price is one of the most important variables of all. Yeah. Um, so your marketing mix I, which
0: is a, a beautiful mm. description, and it's got it's a little more. Uh, it's got more than just four, but I think that's emblematic of marketing. It's just, it's more complicated and it requires more understanding. And we won't go through all of them, but you, let me just mention the ones that are here and uh, with with uh, apologies for not putting them in the right context, but you talk about brand predisposition, paid media, owned media, earned media, user experience, path to purchase impact, availability, uh, logo pack impact, point of sale experience, and Pricing, and I want to go. We're going to go back and talk about a a couple of those uh, in a few minutes. But there was another. Following that, you talk about marketing's business partners, and I. This again, Mm. it came to mind for that marketer who's sitting in a cube. They're somewhat siloed. Maybe not. Maybe that's just the way their organization has has assigned them. But you talk about marketing's business partners, and. You write, for marketing to have a strong influence on the business, it needs to develop close relationships with other business units and external suppliers. And this brought to mind a book called The 12 Powers of a Marketing Leader by Thomas Barda and Patrick Barwise, who's Mm -hmm. uh, based in London. They talked about this. The the, the most successful marketers now are the people that are doing exactly (laughs) what you've described in this. this And you talk about all the different. I mean, you may have an agency but you, or, you know, media agency or creative agency, but more importantly, you talk about uh, market research and why you need to be somewhat joined at the hip with all these other departments and Mm. like finance and R&D and operations and IT and so forth. But I wanted to ask you about three of them specifically, because I Mm. think this is really, really helpful for people in the marketing role to understand uh, that they should be reaching out and building bridges. Can you talk about the importance of marketing developing a a better or a solid relationship with their finance people?
1: Oh, that is crucial. I mean, I think um, the reason that marketing people need to get on well with finance is because it's one of the hardest things to explain and justify, you know, marketing budgets are. Mm -hmm. Um, Finance, people in finance need to know exactly what money will be spent and what return they will get from that expenditure. Or at least that's the perception. In fact, that's not the case. What they want is a reasonably well-thought-through and justified um, estimate of what... Yeah, an investment. It's an investment, and, yeah. and you expect a return. And and I think sometimes um, CFOs think of marketing as sort of... The phrase fluffy comes up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, as in, you can't pin it down. And And some CMOs are reluctant to stick the neck out and say, this is the kind of return, either because they don't have the skills to do the estimates or they're kind of nervous that they'll be, they'll be held too much to account for that. You oh, know? Heaven and, forbid, uh, well, yes. Well, <laughs> well, exactly. But I, I think that's why, I mean, actually, a dialogue with the, the CFO is, is crucial. You know because and also just acknowledging that at different phases of a of a, a company's fortunes you know fortunes of a company Ebb and flow I mean we know that more than ever given what's happening at the moment and last year um it, it, you know at some points marketing investment certain investments need to be curtailed they need to uh, you know the cash flows need to be increased and and marketing investment is something you can switch on and off fairly quickly um but the more importantly is when times are reasonably good. Marketing can provide this incredible investment for long-term profit, middle to middle to long-term profit and being able to put that case across. Uh, to finance teams, I think it's vital for successful marketers of the future.
0: Yes. And, and later in the book, uh, you you talk about some of the very specific uh, calculations and things that you, the marketers yeah. should be doing. But if you think about that uh, finance person or chief financial officer, they're used to having to make decisions on investments. Like, are they buying new equipment? Mm. Or are they buying a new, uh, or are they, are they hiring additional people in advance of uh, f- you know, future earnings. So they're, they're trying to figure that out. And my concern is that when marketers can't talk in that language, the CFO is is then left feeling like, well, I, I'm buying lottery tickets, you know? <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. That's, I, that's why I think more, more using more of the data that does exist, that illustrates the kinds of returns you should and could have expect from different marketing investment. That's the kind of uh, language that marketers need to learn more about. Uh, and, and kind of know the basics of, of the analytics that, ne- mm-hmm. that can be done to come up with those estimates.
0: Yeah. Well, now, customer experience is enormously important. And you talk about mm-hmm. that in your book, and it's been mentioned in many other books. Talk about the importance and, and why marketing needs to, again, have a, a great relationship as much as possible with the operational side of their businesses.
1: Well, I mean, there's two sides of the operational side. There's obviously the operational side, which is literally distribution. You know, we know from the work that Professor Byron Sharp has done that if you don't have the physical availability, you know, the availability of your product, then no amount of advertising, for example, is going to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are not go. People do not go out of their way, certainly in most categories, to to, to pick out a brand if they can't easily access uh, access it themselves. Um, so there's the, there's that whole side uh, of operations. But I, th- I think probably w- what you're probably getting at more is is kind of the delivery side you know, the, the quality of the experience, right?
0: Yeah, you, you're right. In a perfect organization, the customer experience will live up to the marketing promise. Exactly. I, I think you wrote that with a wink. In reality, <laughs> operational limitations can result in delivery that falls short of the desired standard. Exactly. Well, that's why the marketing people need to be advocating for, for good customer experience. And, mm. you know, I, I've interviewed authors and talked to people, uh, marketers, and they'll say, well, yeah, customer experience is important, but it's not, I can't control all that. No, you can't. <laughs> but in <you>, my <laughs> sense, you need to be advocating for that and helping to educate your organization about why that's so important.
1: Yeah, and also knowing where, you know, for taking a step back from, from your own responsibilities, but knowing for a particular business where the, the biggest return will be. And in some cases, it will be actually – don't invest for example in communications yet until you've got the basics the operational basics sorted so you can deliver a consistently good product because long we know that in terms of long term success of any any brand you have to deliver at, at least as as uh, as good a product or service as your competitors otherwise you will not survive
0: absolutely
1: you know? so <laughs> so that comes first you know so i think that's right and you you know it, uh, Obviously, it's a bit brave if it, it, it won't do you out of a job, but it might mean you have a slightly less interesting job for a while, while you help the business focus on on some of the more cool things. I think, you know, getting things in the right order, getting your ducks in the right. Or just, I'm, I'm mixing my metaphors, but uh, you want to kind of line your ducks up and make sure they're also in the right order. If you see what I mean?
0: Right, right. And I, there have been marketing plans where in an organization where there have been serious operational problems, and the marketer mm. has. First recommendation: Stop all advertising. <laughs> Brilliant!
1: Absolutely. Of course you do. I mean, that's that, that's a brave, not a brave, that's a professional marketer.
0: Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, last one though, I wanted to ask about mm. Dan. Why why should marketing people have a relationship with the salespeople?
1: Well, the salespeople are usually they're they're the they're the, the sharp end of of the marketing process. You know, they are the advocates of what it is that you're of what it is is that you're selling. And also, I think more fundamentally, like we said earlier, effective marketing is delivering something that customers value. And salespeople are the ones who understand more than anyone else in the organization what customers do and don't value and Mm -hmm. what appeals to them. So as much as anything, I would say that as a marketer, you talk to your sales force and and, and interview them. You know, you use them uh, as well as talking directly to end customers also to the sales force to give you feedback on on how you should be developing both your products and what kind of marketing will be most effective. So to be honest, that's for me, that's the most important thing is using them as a information source to do a better job.
0: Yes, and I think that we are related, Dan, because long-time <laughs> time listeners will know that that's one of my favorite soapboxes is oh, right. marketers need to go spend time with their salespeople at least yeah. once a month. And and then also they need to spend more time with their uh, their customers as well. And the way you wrote it, I, I couldn't agree with more. Marketing briefs the sales team on what to sell, whom to target, and which selling messages to prioritize. Being in direct contact with customers means the sales force soon learns what is and isn't compelling. Exactly. So it pays for marketers to listen carefully to this feedback and <laughs> use it to adjust the mix. You can't go wrong by spending more time with your salespeople.
1: Exactly. I mean, I think the reason that I. I stress that in the book, I think, is because I have, in my time, done sales roles, uh, you know, business development, pitching a lot. Um, I've also been a CMO as well, and I've also been a product developer. So the kind of <laughs> the combination of three, having had the different perspectives, I mean, I, I couldn't have written that before I'd done all three roles, but but now I think, oh, OK, I get it, and I think I think I've got a better handle on that. Um, which is what I tried to do throughout the book. Actually, is like you know I haven't written a book, uh, a business book anyway, um, ever. Um, it, it's sort of taken me thirty years to get to the point where I think I'm, I'm, I'm just about ready to put it together. <laughs> oh, maybe I should write one now that I've <laughs> the perfect timing
0: been doing this for thirty years, over thirty years. So let's talk about brands, and I was yeah. wondering if you could just explain how brands exist in the brain. And I don't have a lot of books about brands and branding on the show but this is a topic about brands that just fascinates me talk about how brands exist in the brain and i think this is helpful for people to understand that there's a lot more to that than what you particularly say about your company
1: yeah i think so because what you say is is just one element i mean you know you can say whatever you like um what a, a brand is actually what's in the head of the consumer Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I've, I've swatted up a lot on on the kind of neuroscience of this, and had been lucky enough to talk to real experts in this area over, over the years, and um, I think it, it really helps to think of the brand in, in in a particular way, which is that it is literally just a collection of thoughts, feelings, memory fragments, uh, etc., that 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 fire in the brain whenever you come across the brand in one guys or another, the, the brand name or you you see it or hear it or something. It's 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 the totality of those mental connections and what they bring with them. That is the brand. And they will be different. They'll be a little bit different from one person to another. But the, the brand manager's job is to marshal those and build those associations in a way that makes people more favorable towards the brand and more likely to therefore buy it.
0: Absolutely. So you can imagine how difficult it is to to control those things uh,
1: <laughs> it's hard yeah, yeah. And it is hard and um you know some brands you know uh manage it very well and and, and some are some less so um but the most important thing is that you you uh, you know if you talk to professor byron sharp he'll tell you that the one of the key things is that you have a strong vivid set of associations you know others will argue that it also matters what those associations and feelings are you know there's a bit of debate in the industry about the relative importance of of the two, but certainly having a a, a brand that comes very prominently to mind when you come across it is absolutely uh, valuable to, to, to a company
0: absolutely and you mentioned uh, professor byron sharp a few times mm-hmm. i've uh, read about him in so many books and his book how brands grow it's been mentioned by several listeners mm-hmm. and i i have an open invitation to him so if you listener uh, can can reach out to him and maybe uh, let him know how much you'd like him to come on the marketing book podcast uh, i'd really uh, i'd really appreciate that a couple of the things about brand though i was wondering if you'd explain based on your book what is brand purpose and what is brand strategy and and what's the difference? And when we start to get into the words like brand, it, it's very. Um, I think it's very misunderstood.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is, uh, and especially brand purpose. That, and again, there's a, so much debate. It's one of those topics that really gets a heated debate as to exactly whether a, a purpose is necessary right, and what value it does or doesn't bring. So it depends on who you talk to. But yeah, you know, again, one of my favorite frameworks in the book is called the brand pinata.
0: Yes. And I should mention we have lots of listeners in Mexico, so hola, mis amigos. Yes, let's talk about the talk about the brand pinata. I
1: did not know that one. It, this came from an idea of a workshop. So actually, this the workshop idea came before the diagram that came before the book. Okay, so the idea <laughs> is, you know, if you want to help a company think through how they could build a brand, you know, what uh, that will be successful and profitable. Then the piñata – one of the reasons I like it most is the acronym works really well. Oh, yeah. It works on yeah, several yeah. levels. It, yeah, it's great fun. But the, the, the idea of the workshop, actually, was that you'd have the – how many is it? One, two, three, four, five, six uh, different arms? Are they arms? Limbs of the pinata? Mm-hmm. The, the like classic a, like a pinata. Star, yeah, yeah, the star-shaped one, not the donkey-shaped one. You know, or llama-shaped one, or, or SpongeBob. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no, not that. The, the, the I think it's the the more traditional one that's a kind of star shape. Um, and uh, every time you've nailed one of the the different areas, you can then smash the sweets out of that arm. You know, <laughs> just I do like a fun workshop. Uh, I do like sweets, so yes. that, I, I thought that would go down, and you'd have that kind of visceral pleasure of having nailed uh, you know succeeded and and done a seventh of the workshop
0: yeah and we're also talking about blindfolds and swinging
1: sticks yeah, yeah. i know you can't go wrong you know i mean health and safety in in uk is quite strict <laughs> but i'm sure i'm sure we could get away with it okay oh, that, so that, that's in the days where we could beat up face to face i do not know what the virtual version of this is. I, have to think. yeah
0: well yeah. so anyway. the pinata yeah. P-I-N-A-T-A. So yeah. what you've got here is purpose, insight, needs, associations, testaments, assets. And at the center of all this is this uh, customers. Yeah. Customers. Wow, what a concept. <laughs> <laughs> putting the customers at the center.
1: Starting it with the customers, putting them at the heart, I know. But that's yeah. what I like. Yeah, that's a good shape for it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you start with customers and everything comes from understanding customers and what they want and what they need and what excites them and what engages them, which will stand you in good stead. So you always know have to know, who is it? Who is it? We're going to be uh, marketing this uh, product or service to right. obviously. Uh, the, the, yeah, go on. Back to the purpose. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. This is really important. Your purpose is to do this. is tricky. Now, some people think about purpose as being like a kind of high, uh, a highly worthy kind of societal purpose, you know, more like – um a csr thing so that's something about the company's debt to society in return for making money out of the society yes. I, d- I don't mean that i really mm. don't mean that. i mean i'm not saying that's a bad thing i think it's a great thing but in terms of brand marketing i'm thinking about a purpose in a much more down to earth way which is just knowing what is it that your brand is going to do for people And the example i like to give is you know do you have you know the brand debt the disinfectant uh, no, I don't know. Is it is it, uh, is it Clorox? or so- I think Clorox is a similar brand in the states. Okay. right? Yeah, yeah. So the idea is these brands are, are to help, say, let's call them a home a homemaker, to prevent the their people in the house from from getting disease. Okay, you know, I think that's and that that's you know, rather than we make bleach or disinfectants. <laughs> right. Yeah. There's a purpose to it. There's a reason. There's a role in people's life. That's what I mean by purpose. And I think if you're not, if you're clear about that. it's so much more uh, helpful in terms of making good marketing decisions. The idea is that if you've got a clear purpose, it makes it much more likely you're going to make some very good marketing decisions and have a coherent, strong brand.
0: Right. And you write, a brand whose purpose stems from what the company already does, but inspires employees to do better, is more likely to succeed. Then you go on to talk about brand strategy, And you say this is a business plan defining how the company will make money from products using the brand name. And the first thing on here is a long-term financial objective. And Mm -hmm. in my conversations with small to medium-sized businesses, it's all I can do to try to extract any kind of uh, financial goals from them. (laughs) But the more that marketers are able to do that, the better, and also they are perceived very differently within their organizations
1: so that's been my experience yeah. i think that goes back to what we were saying about the need for you know a line of sight through to uh, commercial objectives i mm-hmm. think i think the more that the marketing activities and the budget the budget and the activities can be shown how they contribute to the to the success of the the, the, the commercial success of the company you know the better
0: yeah. And you talk about a, a rich description of who's going to buy and uh, mm. description of the products and the numbers that will be sold each year or yep. you know, however you can quantify that uh, yep. and, and so forth. Well, let's move on to uh, something else that's kind of related. Uh, that's the um, brand KPIs, key performance yes. indicators. Yeah, yeah, And again, warm the cockles of my heart. And you explain that the most relevant indicators of business success are, of course… Financial.
1: <laughs> they always come at the top of the pyramid or, or whatever. Yes. Beautifully drawn,
0: whoever your illustrator is. And I was wondering, if and, and so in the pyramid, actually, cause I'm looking at it, you've got it like in sort of three levels, financial metrics on top and then customer metrics. And then down at the bottom, are the perceptions. And sadly, yeah. people focus first on the perceptions. And I don't think that that helps marketers, the perception of marketers by others. But it could talk about some of these financial metrics that marketers should become very conversant in. For specifically, you're talking about like profit, revenue, margin, market share.
1: Yeah. I mean, these are fundamental. I'm actually, I've got a diagram that I've, that, that's that been very popular actually on LinkedIn. It's not in this book because it's... Um, it could be, <laughs> maybe in the second edition, right? Oh. But it, it's a, it's a summary of all the different financial metrics. I, I did it after I wrote the book with, with, um, with CMOs in mind. Cause I remember when I was a CMO and you'd have the CFO and the CEO talking about all these different metrics. They talk about margin. They talk about, uh, operating profit. They talk about, what's it called? Um, oh, there's an acronym. It's basically the the profit you get before taxes. Uh, Earnings interest. before
0: That's interest, it.
1: EBIT or EBIT. There's all these different
0: taxes and amortisation.
1: Exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's like these are there's so many terms and 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 actually a lot of them are used interchangeably. I hadn't realised that that actually margin and profit are usually used in exactly the same way, almost always. So um, uh, yeah. So I, I think I think marketers just need a basic understanding of what these are and to practice talking in those terms and thinking about how their marketing is going to affect these important financial terms, particularly profit, actually. Mm. Profit. Not just not just sales, but profitable sales. And that's what marketing can do in particular. You know, if you just want to drive sales, you can just put your price right down, but you're not going to make much money. <laughs> right,
0: right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, so true. And there's a, a book by uh, Malcolm McDonald, who you may know of uh, in, mm. in England. He's written a number of well he's written over forty five books, and he talks uh, in his book on marketing planning about the perils of dropping price, even a little yeah. bit uh, oh God, yeah, absolutely it's massive. Is there any chance I might be able to get that image to include on your episodes show notes at marketing book yeah, yeah,
1: no problem at all yeah, and i I really like it it's, it's It's gone down extremely well. it just does a sort of oh thanks, that clears things up or, yeah. it's the kind of thing I, I call it like a crib sheet, you know it's the kind of thing you have. In your in your rucksack or or on your um, on your desk, so that when you're having a conversation with, with a CFO or a CEO, you can you can glance down and know what they're talking about. I always mm-hmm. found that quite useful personally. Yeah, um, I bluffed my way through as a CMO for, for like seven years, and that, that that helped me a lot.
0: Well played, good sir. So let's talk about brand experience because I mentioned that earlier, and you write that since any encounter could strengthen or damage brand perception, marketers should consider what people experience when they are exploring a purchase when making a purchase, and once they are customers. Yes. And you talk about how customer-centric companies, they review what you call brand encounters from many angles, looking for any opportunities to uh, make them possible. When I'm sometimes talking to uh, maybe more uh, unaware companies about this concept, they they don't quite grasp it. And then I'll maybe mention like a Disney or a hospitality Brand where they oh, right. are very careful about engineering the experience. But I was wondering if you could talk about this this brand encounters and and what companies could do to start identifying what you call the moments uh, that matter. And you even have a, a yeah. customer interaction performance grid, which is worth the price of the book. Which yeah, I like that one. I was going yeah. to
1: say, I You go
0: up on a whiteboard and people can start to say, ah, I see <laughs> I see exactly. where we're dropping the ball. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's meant to be exactly that. It's meant to be this is one of the more practical. You know, there, there are several of the frameworks in the book are very practical things, like like you say, for putting on a whiteboard um, and going, This is a prompt. It's like a checklist or a, a stimulus. Let us think through what the kind of areas that are likely to be uh, important to our customers. How are we doing? Uh, and then you can you can feed you can you can feed into this through things like market research, market research can be can be used to identify what you know. People call them the pain points. You know the things that particularly annoy customers. Yeah, um, interacting with the brand that's quite easy to relatively easy to do. And most companies have information sources from customer complaints, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, but when you do,
0: talk about those things that can really make or break a relationship. Yeah, yeah, just knowing well, I, that.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I quite like this, the grid that you just mentioned because it kind of, it breaks down the kind of different state, the kind of interactions that might happen before and during and after, you know, someone becomes a customer. So I've got things like information, you know, a lot of a lot of businesses and brands, people like to find out about them beforehand, especially if they're high risk decisions, you know, big purchases. Mm-hmm. People look for information and they look on websites and they look up uh, reviews and they look up, um, you know, uh, Google searches and they ask their friends on Facebook or and read things that people have already left on, other, on social media generally. And then you've got inquiries. That's when actually first come in contact with you and how you handle that moment. Like, you know, a lot of companies quite rightly have a kind of, you know, with an inquiry, we need to get back to them with someone who knows what they're talking about in a certain number of hours or, or, or a day maximum or whatever is appropriate for the for the category. Mm-hmm. And then you've got the actual purchasing experience, you know, um, what it, how easy it is, how, how uh, pleasant it is, etc. Um, and then it carries through to after your customer and things of user support and what happens when something goes wrong. So I think that's quite a useful um, little checklist.
0: Oh, absolutely. And there have been books about Each of those points you just talked about (laughs) on the show, in other words, like um, Lee Saltz wrote this book called Sales Differentiation, where he explains that there are certain things you can and should do to differentiate your company. But one of the biggest differentiators is how your organization sells. Or uh, Joey Coleman talked about the whole onboarding of a new customer, (laughs) often ignored by companies. Very, very uh, important. And also in the book, you talk about how complaints are handled. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well there is a good practice there's a proven series of things you do and ways of doing it that, are, that have been shown to be highly effective but and therefore you know there's a blueprint there i think that's true of a lot of the book it's like there there are best practices that have been established um, th- through all these different aspects of marketing, mm-hmm. so why not start start with them um, rather than having to reinvent the wheel or, or or not even know about them in the first place?
0: Right. Let's start with this. I mean, you could have written a fifteen hundred page book, and I appreciate you not doing that. Uh, <laughs> but all the topics that you that you cover here, and even in the book, you talk about the importance of you know innovation. And yeah. I wanted to, of course, anything that talks about consumer insights just draws me right in. Like a moth to the flame. Right. And uh, let's see, on page 56, um, one of the things you mentioned is the most powerful ideas come from a deep understanding of the consumer. So the team should be immersed in information and insights about the target audience, including their needs and desires related to the category and beyond. What are some ways that companies can get better insights and better understanding of their customers and spoiler alert it doesn't mean ask them what they want
1: (laughs) (laughs) no 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 don't ask them what they want they often don't know what they want that's true but they do they do they will happily tell you about their life what they do what they need in terms of you know what would make where they have their own pain points you know and i just i mean it starts with i mean ethnography is an underrated form of of research you know ethnography is where I'm sure you know but you know where you you basically deep have a deep dive understanding about uh, around your your um your typical target audience. In fact, ideally it involves spending time like you know, living with and taking notes and asking questions and recording their lives around whatever it is that's relevant to your to your category and brand. Now that's the ultimate. That doesn't t- tend to happen very much these days because it's extremely expensive.
0: That's the Martin but, Lindstrom approach.
1: <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, no, I, it's it, it's absolutely. And I, I do know, I have worked with companies that when they moved into, a, say, a new type of category, you know, with new different types of target audience or, or a new country for the first time, they would invest in ethnography to really understand and also, you know, compare and contrast with, with perhaps consumers and, and perspectives that they do know. But more importantly, just to understand the people that they're selling to. Uh, but you don't have to go th- th- through that. I mean, you know, just, just uh, it's, it's um, it's about understanding their their concerns and their lives. Not, and then it's up to you to be imaginative and figure out how you might be, um, you know, service those needs better.
0: Absolutely, absolutely, very, very important uh, observation. Uh, a big part of that, and and I'm, i all joking aside with the episode on Martin Lindstrom that was on last week. In his book Small Data, as well as the the new book, The Ministry of Common Sense, he talks about these. And in the interview, we talked about this, the, the, these companies, there are some companies that have, I think it was a medical company. They established, the CEO said that once a year, each employee has to go spend 24 hours with a customer. Yeah, that's nice. It was based on that, that ultimately big growth came because they understood uh, their customers better. And the truth is, if you just understand your customers a little bit better than your competition, I I found that uh, it's, it becomes an unfair advantage. So it doesn't have to be perfect, but you just have to uh, start to observe them. So I just want to read uh, from page 115 about customer loyalty. And again, this is another one of my soapboxes, but it's so important for companies to understand, particularly as it relates to the the money is with your current customers, (laughs) not always with the brand new, the, the net new customers. And you write, having a base of people whose loyalty can be relied upon is a major asset. It provides the business with a predictable cash flow and an opportunity to sell additional products to a receptive audience retaining a customer costs between five and 25% less than acquiring a new one depending on the industry and which studies you believe regardless of the precise figure creating customer loyalty almost always makes good business sense loyalty schemes encourage customers to stick with the brand and make the prospect of switching allegiances unattractive the most effective schemes come from knowing what target customers like and expect from the brand and the kinds of practical or emotional reward they appreciate in return for their loyalty. What are some of the most effective ways that companies can, I guess, increase loyalty or, or more easily sell to their current
1: customers? I think, you know, this is, this is about creating more attachments, really, between the, the, the brand and, and the customer. So, for example, um, there's a brand uh, uh, called Sephora, Mm-hmm. I hope I've got that right. Can I like rewind a second? beauty brand? yeah, that's right sephora and and they have they're actually quite famous for having a lot of perks associated with repeat you know being loyal and 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 buying repeatedly from their online store and 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 their offline stores um you know the, I think they've understood what it is that that target audience and I understand it it's a younger audience quite fashionable. Um, what it is that they are looking for and, and they appreciate that, that wants them to makes them feel good about using that brand and continue to buy from that brand. So they have things. like I think anything where it's kind of where you're rewarded more and more for sticking with the brand and giving you more and more, I suppose you call it added value, don't you? Above and beyond the actual physical product um, itself.
0: Yeah. And so when they say what they want and when I hear a salesperson say, oh, they want a lower price. No, they don't. <laughs> you go on to talk about things that it's just very much about building community, but you talk about social status, sense of accomplishment, feeling valued uh, or, or like sense of uh, community or, you know, maybe saving money is part of it. But don't hang your hat uh, com- completely on that. Gee, I just want to ask two other uh, questions. Um Reviewing brand strategy, you talk about, um, you write that when a brand is struggling to meet their targets, hopefully something measurable, the first thing to establish is whether the problem lies with the strategy or its execution. How do you go about discerning which it
1: might be? I mean, this is where you do need some sort of measurement, I think. You you need measurements to review brand strategy properly i mean the the basic thinking and there's a there's a flow diagram in in that chapter that helps you think think through it which is you know if you're if you're growing on target that's great and it it probably means that what you've been doing is working both strategically um, and the execution you know everything's lined up everything's great if it's not going so well you need to kind of decide well okay how well have we been executing this strategy and that's where you need benchmarks. That's where you need comparisons and market research can be really helpful here. So, for example, in the communications area, you know, uh, okay, you've got the strategy, but how effective, how impactful have your communications been? Have they all been below par, below norms, below average, however you want to measure it? If so, then you don't really know. You can't tell necessarily whether it was the strategy or whether it was the way you executed it, you know, in a substandard sort of way. But if you have executed it well um uh, you know lots of ticks all the way in terms of how you've executed it but you're still not growing as much as you need to that points to a strategic problem so it's more it's i I think that's called inference isn't it you know where you kind of i don't know (laughs) i'm sure someone on this podcast will know better than me
0: it's important to simply ask that question Mm. is it the strategy or the execution and if you have the strategy outlined and you understand what it is, you understand your customers, you understand what you're going to measure, it, it all starts to, you start to understand why those first things we talked about are, are so really important. Now, one last thing I want to ask about in the book, and that is, uh, again, back onto my soapbox. And this was about budgets and take us take us back to to, to finance. And I just want to quote uh You're right. Like any discretionary investment a company could choose to make, there needs to be a sound business case for marketing expenditure. Well, what a downer you are. No. uh, All companies have a finite amount of money available, so the right allocation for marketing depends on how the expected return on investment compares to other areas of the business, such as staff training or IT. Estimating the return from marketing investments can be challenging, but it's necessary for illustrating the commercial value of marketing and justifying its budget. Some marketers are uncomfortable making predictions because there are so many unknowns, but businesses are used to making decisions despite uncertainty. Most chief financial officers are happy to accept assumptions, provided they are supported by a logical rationale. Can you talk about some of the the calculations and, and some of the things that would be helpful for the company to make more informed marketing investment decisions.
1: Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, I, it's um, I, and I call these you know back of a cigarette packet calculator. I wouldn't, I wouldn't position that way to the CFO, but effectively, <laughs> but, but I think just the process of trying to think through, you know, what kind of impact can we possibly expect here? You know, what what what's what's the best case? What's the worst case? What's the most likely case? Is really important, and again, like like you just mentioned, you know, the CFOs are used to that. So long as you explain your workings, you mm-hmm. know, like in an exam, a maths exam, if you explain your workings, you can get the answer wrong, so and, and but you can get almost full marks. That's <laughs> yes, exactly. It's, it, it's exactly the same here. So long as you've done a, a, your best, honest estimate um, based on any data that you you, you have available to you, um, that you're going to you're almost certainly going to make a better decision than if you had not attempted the calculation at all. Yeah, and.
0: I can't resist. I mean, you you do have a chart on here, and it could go on maybe the back of two cocktail napkins. Yeah, let's put it in context that I understand. And it's got you know over two year period, and has, you've got yep. additional customers, and you've got the the numbers. The maths, yeah, the basic maths
1: underneath it, purchases yeah,
0: per customer, profit per purchase, and additional profit. Generated, which takes us back to why it's so important to uh, be able to talk about those things, and why that I really do want to see that gra- graphic, which we'll include in your episode's uh, website exactly. page.
1: If you notice This is why it's important as well, because if I don't know if, if you got that example there, but you can see that if you just look at, at this. It's a hypothetical example, but it's actually based very closely on something I've, I did in the past. Okay. Mm-hmm. So it's like a deep thing. You'll notice that over the first three months, the return on investment is barely anything. You know, you basically, you, you get back pretty much what you, uh, what you invested and uh, mm-hmm. no more. Uh, it's like a 1.1 ratio kind of thing. But over the two year period, you get a six, uh, a, a nearly six fold return. And I think that's, that is actually a crucial thing to take to the CFO and say, look, it will cost a bit you know and we won't get an immediate return but look at these figures this is how it works and something things about marketing people forget that if you do some marketing and you bring in a customer and assuming you've got a reasonably good product with a good repeat rate that customer has a long term total value to your business um not just what they spend on you in the in the first month the the repeat adds up and adds up. And and that's why marketing can give you this massive long-term return.
0: Oh, absolutely. And when you start talking about customer lifetime value, you yeah. know, believe it or not, I remember talking to a company that was being run by the CFO on an interim basis. And I introduced that concept to him, and it completely changed the conversation. <laughs> I said, well, how much are your average customers spending per year? And, of course, he had a name. He had a number. And I said, well, how long do you keep them? <laughs> and I said, yeah. well, let's look at just one customer. Compared to <laughs> what we're talking about investing, he goes, "Oh, I hadn't exactly. thought of that." And so and he was a stupid person, uh, but I, I find that it really changes the conversation. Particularly if marketers can talk about customer lifetime value, and it it's it's just it, it's it's uh, yep tongue and groove beautifully fits in with with investment exactly.
1: and you don't need a lot of um data to do it or estu- you know assumptions to do it you just probably need some existing data you've got in a business like you know what is our typical retention rate or whatever and you just apply that it's um i wasn't sure whether to put a worked example in a business book like this but i'm i'm, I'm kind of glad i did i think
0: well and the fact that it's hand drawn <laughs> <I think>
1: it <laughs> makes more it, accessible yeah yes, exactly i could just see myself
0: putting something like this up exactly. on a whiteboard or or, or a well, maybe I need three Stop. Stop. cocktail napkins, and they won 't give yeah, me exactly. a cocktail napkin unless I drink it so it'll be a three martini uh chart uh, on estimating chart. returns okay. from marketing so sounds good well, Dan, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be one thing well <laughs> oh, i didn't say that was a fair question
1: no i don't think it is a fair question <laughs> it's i'd be very disappointed given the nature of this book i'd be very disappointed if they took one thing you see it's not it hasn 't got like an angle or a a, a single point this is a this is a guidebook, you know, this is something, I, I my favorite quote from people uh, from someone was that it's, it's going to be glued to the desk. Yes. You know what I mean? That it's a reference, but it's, it's a, you know, okay. Okay. We need to think about next month's sales promotion. Let's have a little, a little bit of inspiration and a bit of context and some best practices around this. Okay. Yeah, great. And then you get on with the, the meeting, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping they take, they pick up a whole host of different things that they then can look up in detail when they need them. Mm -hmm. I'd say. That's a a
0: good answer to a very unfair question. (laughs) Bravo. (laughs) Okay, good. What is one thing a listener could do today? Just one, to put in action one of the many ideas from your book or that we've talked about?
1: Well, there's. I'm torn between a couple of thoughts. Um, One would be I'd go straight – if you're spending money on media now, you know, in your job, um, I'd go straight to that section – because I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and confusion and fear uh, in in the marketing world when it comes to making decisions about media because the media keep changing and it's complex and it's quite technical sounding. Um, so I would definitely say get yourself um, <coughs> armed with some, some f- fundamental principles around that, I think. Um, the other one I was thinking of um, – is because, again going back to this being a useful guide, like it brings people up to a certain level of understanding across across uh, all the different marketing topics. Was would be um, if I was a CMO, I'd probably want the people in my team to to read it, you know, so that you can then have a conversation that has that as the starting point. And I know that sounds like a gratuitous sales message, which it kind of is, but it's meant it's meant sincerely. In that, I think you know if we could just bring bring the levels of understanding up a bit. Marketing is just going to become so much more effective.
0: Oh, I don't think that's a, a gratuitous plug, and it, it's only ten chapters, and it's the sort of thing where you could buy a copy of this for everyone in that department and have a lunch and learn. And even if you go through one chapter a month, mm. but have these conversations or, or, or one chapter a, a, a week, it the the conversation and the discussion is going to be brought up several levels. Yeah, uh, a, and I perfect. think there might be a lot of people who would say, "Gosh, you know what? I learned that in school, but I." I completely forgot about that. It's so
1: obvious. Yeah, or, or they've. Or they, uh, I found that more experienced marketers sometimes go, "Yeah, I had a blind spot or a gap, just a gap for whatever reason uh, in my knowledge," and this has helped to fill those gaps. Um, yes, and or give them new ways of thinking about one or two topics as well. So
0: yeah, it's like a marketing guardrail. <laughs> it, it is
1: actually that's about right. It is. Yeah. So, uh, Dan, what
0: books have most inspired your work in in career?
1: Oh, you know, I was, I was, you know, you put this in the uh, list of questions you'd like to ask, and I w- I'm, I'm most fearful about my answer on this one.
0: Well, you mentioned one. Uh, you mentioned Byron Sharp, so I would think maybe how brands grow <laughs> cool. might be one. How
1: brands grow is there. Um, I still remember Good to Great, uh, Malcolm Glad- Gladwell from way back. Well, that was uh, still-
0: uh, Jim Collins. Oh, there you go. I got it wrong. Yeah, it was actually <laughs> mentioned uh, recently
1: on the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, well, I mean, it's still a great book, yeah. even though I got the I forgot the right authors. It was about twenty years ago. Yeah, wasn't it? yeah, but so the, the methodology, you know,
0: like your math comment, the methodology behind the book mm. was so interesting. It was, even though some of those companies have have gone, come and gone, uh, the the methodology of what made them great still sticks in my head.
1: Fundamental stuff, exactly. So that that one definitely, and like like I said, obviously how brands grow, but you know, I'm not. I'm not a great reader, and I know that's the worst thing I can say on a podcast about books, but kind of one of the reasons I wrote this book is because I don't really like reading lots of business books. I find them a bit long and a bit complex, and i I rather do other things yeah know? well you're, like, you're yeah. probably a
0: more interesting person uh, <laughs> or...
1: <laughs> no oh, I'm not sure kidding. about that <laughs> no i'm I can be quite nerdy at, at times definitely but um but I kind of I, I prefer very succinct things, you know yes. but, well
0: that's uh. Uh, exemplified in your in your book right right
1: so are there any recent or upcoming books that you um
0: have heard of or or recommend Uh, i know you're not looking forward to reading them but uh you
1: know (laughs) well i like i mean like i like anything that's accessible and and fun do you know the comedian uh dimitri martin have you come across him no i don't know how well well known he's american um not very well known but i think he's brilliant um, it's nothing to do with marketing but I would recommend his books definitely oh, definitely There's yeah one called point your face at this which i think is a brilliant title for a book um and he's, he's, he's um he does write short stories but he also write, uh, does cartoons and they 're very dry and and wry and and clever uh very clever um so I would recommend those nothing to do with marketing but a good recommendation. No,
0: it didn't have to be marketing books. And as a matter of fact, in lieu of a midlife crisis a few years ago, I started performing stand up comedy. And I'm all I'm all better now. Thank you. Okay. Um, well done. Well but done. even <laughs> for uh, Christmas this year, I got a copy of Jerry Seinfeld's book, uh, Is This Anything? And I should take it yeah. off my desk because it's keeping me from. <laughs> <laughs> getting work done. So I will definitely look into uh, that comedian because it sounds like it's right up my alley. And I'll make That's sure if sure. he has a website, I'll include it on your show notes. Oh, thank on, you. On your, your episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And at that, we will include links to uh, your information about your book and, and to your LinkedIn profile and any, any of the books that we've we've talked about so that people can get to them quickly. And for you, dear listener, if you're listening on your smartphone and you subscribe to the Marketing Book Podcast on your Favorite podcast app? All these links can be found by going to this episode and clicking on the show notes link. Final quote, successful companies have a vision for what consumers value, how much they will pay, and how much profit this will yield. Brands are simply the mechanism by which the company's vision is made attractive to consumers. Any company that has identified a genuine consumer need and is uniquely placed to address it has an opportunity to generate a healthy profit But only a smart marketer has the know-how to convert this opportunity into reality. The name of the book is The Smart Marketing Book, The Definitive Guide to Effective Marketing Strategies. The author is Dan White. Dan, thank you very much for joining us on The Marketing Book Podcast.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me.
0: And that closes the book on another episode of The Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. If you are one of the hundreds of listeners who have left an iTunes review, let me return your kind favor by mailing you some marketing book podcast bookmarks, and laptop stickers. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world, and I'll drop it in the mail. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, and I read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message indicating you're a listener, so I won't mistake you for a spammer and ignore you, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. And remember the words of the entrepreneur and author, Jim Rohn, who said, formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.